Have you ever been close to giving up your ultimate dream because you doubt you can find your place in a saturated market? If yes, you're definitely in the right place. Welcome to Rising High with Ananya Dugar. Today, we will be speaking to Nick Bayer, the founder and CEO of Saxby's, a hospitality and coffee company that opened in 2005. Since then, Nick has elevated his brand from a small-time cafe into a household name and retail chain. He has been recognized as one of the most admired CEOs by Philadelphia Business Journal and has been featured by the Entrepreneur, Philadelphia Inquirer, and Daily News to name a few. One of the most fascinating aspects of Saxby's is that the team recognizes itself not only as a company but as a social impact cafe chain fueled by amazing food, beverage, and hospitality. Hi Nick, it's such a pleasure to have you on board. Thanks, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So to dive right into your background, you started off as an aspiring lawyer by completing your undergrad in Cornell, and then switched over to being a businessman. How come that transition took place? So you know the journey actually is before that time. I'm originally from Chicago. My parents, unfortunately and unexpectedly, started a family before they could get their education. They really preached upon me and my little brother to get our education, especially in this country, but probably around the world. you often can't do the things that you want to do without an education. An education is what opens up doors, builds a network, gives you the credentials to be able to go and pursue the things that that you love to do. And and that was a big opportunity for me, but it was also sort of I was a fish out of water, you know, like in many instances like with your family, like you've got a successful family business. I didn't have that. My parents were just like go do something that you love to do, unlike what they were doing. I as everyone always said to me my entire life including when I was in college you like to talk you like to argue your position you have strong opinions you should be a lawyer and so I used to just tell people I'm like I'm going to be a lawyer because all people said I should be a lawyer but I I went through college I took a bunch of different internships trying all these different places all these different industries to see like what was the thing that as I like to say makes my heart race and I liked all of those things but there wasn't the one thing that was like this is my calling and that's what i was looking for i was looking for my calling the big eye opener for me was when i was graduating school freaking out about what i wanted to do i had a really enlightening conversation with a teacher from my childhood who took an affinity to me encouraged my family to send me to a different environment for school i wasn't in a school that was well set up for a lot of kids to be successful from and so my parents heeded her advice sent me away to a much more challenging much more rigorous school and it really changed my life and i remember her speaking with such pride and confidence that she was excited to see where i was in my life you know i felt like i had accomplished nothing i just graduated from cornell i think she felt like i had accomplished so much and she like that's why i went to be a teacher and so i remember hanging up the phone thinking to myself i want to have that same feeling with my career but i had grown to love business you know like i i met my best when i'm competitive and i'm on my toes and i'm trying to innovate and i'm constantly pivoting and so the light bulb moment for me when i was graduating school was i can make an impact in this world while building a successful business we're dealing with racial injustice crisis we're dealing with increased poverty increased inequality business can't be like that anymore And so instead of me and other social entrepreneurs being fringe on the fringe that we had this crazy idea that you could do well for people and make money that's the core of business moving forward in many ways i think it's the new form of capitalism I would completely agree i think businesses today more than ever need to have a social impact and be able to 
help this society and the community they are a part of. Also, kudos to your parents for actually sending you to college and giving you the best of education in order to make you succeed in every possible way that they could. A fun fact about you is that you were not a regular coffee drinker when you were in college. What pushed you to start Saxby's and actually step out of your comfort zone? You know, social media, cell phones, and coffee shops are sort of the things that dominate the higher ed space these days. When I went to school, coffee shops were like not on college campuses. Because I wanted to go into a people-centric business, it automatically took me out of things like technology, and, and technology has never made my heart race. It's like Warren Buffett's strategy for investing. He doesn't invest in things he doesn't understand. He's not interested in. Why would you go work in something that doesn't make your heart race? Technology is not exciting to me. People are exciting to me. And knowing that I wanted to be able to make an impact in this world, I wanted the business to have as low a barrier to entry as possible. So when you think about coffee, there's almost no barrier. And there's no business like it. There's something on our menu for anyone. Literally, we serve homeless people and multimillionaires out of the same space with the same dignity every single day. But we can also employ anyone. You know, we have 900 people in our company. We have people with PhDs and MBAs. And we have people that we've hired out of homeless shelters because we're in the coffee business. It doesn't require you to have a degree from Franklin and Marshall. It doesn't require you to have a PhD from MIT. And so I chose coffee because of the openness of the industry. I have since become a coffee zealot. Love coffee. It is the quintessential product that brings people together, but I chose the industry more for the human element than the product element. The human experience transcends everything. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it's beautiful that you talk about having someone who's homeless versus multimillionaires who all come and have the exact same experience when they come to Saxby's. You talked a little bit about your seventh grade teacher having an impact on you in school. What do you think are other mentors' roles in your life currently? So I'm blessed to have many. And I say I'm blessed because people have presented themselves in my life, but it's also not fully luck. One of my strongest pieces of advice to people is to network and reach out and build your network. Like we live in a connected world right now. Whether you're in Cambodia or Philadelphia, if you're in India or Los Angeles, it doesn't matter. Like we're in a connected world now. So there's no excuse to not build a network. And so for me, I, there's a few people that I like rely on pretty closely. A funny connection here actually as well. The, the president of Drexel University, which is right here in Philadelphia, his name is John Fry. John's previous job prior to Drexel was he was the president of your university, Franklin and Marshall. John is just a phenomenal human being, first and foremost, husband, father, um, civic leader, and just a real icon in, in the space of higher education, which as we'll talk about is an area where we're heavily invested. And so I look at people not because they're a genius in one particular area and I aspire to their genius. I look at people from a holistic, well-rounded perspective. That's what success in life is, is to make a well-rounded, large-scale impact in this world. So if all you do is work, you ignore your family and you're not there for them, that's not my kind of mentor. Or if you only work and maybe spend a little bit of time with your family, but you do nothing to make the community better and you're not civically-minded, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's just not the kind of person that I'm trying to be mentored by. Well, I'm looking for people that are triple threats, the community, their family, and their business. And so John is one of the people that's sort of at the top of the list for me. And I'm fortunate that we have a great relationship. He's such an icon on campus till date. When he left UPenn and joined our college as the new president, 
He had launched a seventy-five million dollar redevelopment project that involved demolishing a factory and moving a railroad yard nearby uh, to ensure the safety and hygiene of students on campus. One of the things you talk about is that you love competition. I have never heard anyone say that. I think when you hear competition, you take two steps back and you're like, "Oh, I should be on my guard." So I mean, I believe that you have to lean into the things that are most difficult. Competition is a fact of life. Capitalism is built on competition. If you want to find a business or find a life that is not full of competition, it means it's not worth doing. Because if you build a business and you're really successful, guess what? Competition is going to find you. Or if you want to go into an established industry, it's established because it's already competitive. And so I think competition is just a fact of life. I study stoicism. Stoicism is something that really communicates to me. I believe that you lean into the things that are just realities, and competition is a reality. And in my early days, like when I was still learning to be an entrepreneur, also learning my industry, I think I used to spend too much time focused on my competition and not enough time on myself and my business. So I spend ninety percent of my time worrying about what we do, and ten percent of the time worrying about our competition. Because you've got to be unique, you've got to be differentiated. The why of your business matters has to be created by you. So although I do love and embrace competition, it's not that I spend a ton of my time focused on my competition. I love that you graduated college with the feeling that you've accomplished absolutely nothing. I believe with the dominance of social media we feel that we all need to have accomplished everything by the age of 22. What advice would you give us? My biggest advice is block out the noise from your head. You know, and and pursue the things that you truly love to do. Like your professional life should be no different than your personal life. In your personal life, you're probably not hanging out with people that make you feel bad. You have high standards for who you hang out with and what you do in your personal life. the exact same thing should be done in your professional life and arguably even more because we spend more time working than doing anything else so the advice that i give the people is don't disconnect your head from your heart oftentimes we do things based on our head like in my head it would be cool to build an app in my head my friend said that this is the cool company to be able to work for but my heart tells me something else and it's so easy especially when we're young to only just sort of chase what our what our head tells us we should be doing because it's like what everybody else says we're supposed to be doing but it's what your heart tells you is ultimately going to make you want to work harder and i think ultimately love what you do and make an impact in this world thank you for sharing that that's great advice moving on to saxby's how do you describe getting into such a crowded space what makes sense for me with business is going after a big pie and trying to get your slice of it Some entrepreneurs are just constantly looking to create their own pie. Facebook essentially created their own pie, but there's a lot of established industries out there, and so I wanted to go into a big pie industry and figure out how I can get my piece of the pie, and then obviously be able to expand that pie as well. So that was one of the reasons why the coffee industry, like the, the amount of competition in it, wasn't the negative. I actually spun it to myself as a as a positive. That's really interesting. So. Saxby's is well known to have a game-changing impact on its employees and its guests. What does that mean to you? So, I've always been fond of saying that the taste of product, whether that product is coffee, whether that product is scotch, whether it's wine, it doesn't matter. The taste of product is often very subjective. What you like and what I like and what 
the person down the street are going to like are going to often them to be three different things. Human experience is not. I guarantee the people in India, just like the people in the U.S., just like the people in the U.K., they like to be looked at in the eyes. They like to be smiled at. They like to be treated nicely. So as I like to say, human experience or hospitality is objective. And so we are in the objective human experience business. We believe in human beings being hardwired to do well by each other. You know, thousands and thousands of people come in every day. And it's amazing how walking into a place on a dreary day or a hot day, and you're greeted by this person who's excited to see you. How you walk out of that place with a different smile on your face, with a little bit more pep in your step. And then you're a little bit nicer to your neighbor or to your roommate. Like goodness has always been important in this country and in this world, but never more than now. And so our focus has always been the goodness of human beings and being steadfastly committed to it through the operation of these cool and uplifting cafes. It's so powerful to hear you talk about this in such a passionate and excited way. According to you, leadership is about enabling your team to be entrepreneurial. How do you empower your team while holding them accountable? Well, I think first and foremost, I think one of the, the key things about entrepreneurship is that you get a PhD in making mistakes. And oftentimes we realize that when I've been doing this a long time now, you almost get excited about mistakes. You almost get to the point where you're like, man, I screwed that up. I can't wait to unpackage that and dissect that and figure out what I got wrong because the best next step is going to be somewhere in that mistake. My best ideas, sort of my best pivots have come with some of my biggest failures. We have this inertia as companies get bigger, we develop this inertia to become less mistake prone and less entrepreneurial. Like I, I see making mistakes and entrepreneurship is nearly synonymous. They're literally built together, but as companies get bigger, they inherently want to make less mistakes and therefore they become less entrepreneurial. And so I wanted this company to be entrepreneurial so that people could feel like their voice could be heard. They could feel comfortable making decisions and feel comfortable that like, you don't have to be perfect. I've made many mistakes, so why should the newest barista at our Rittenhouse Square location not be allowed to make a mistake? I wanted to become an entrepreneur because I didn't want to be a robot. I wanted to be able to love what I did and have the bandwidth to be able to, to try to innovate and do things differently. And if I get that benefit, how cool would it be if everybody else could? And so as you probably know, and looking, looking at our company, every one of our cafes is run by a CEO. So a cafe executive officer. So when you walk into a cafe, and someone says, I want to speak to the CEO. It's not me walking up to them. It's the CEO of that cafe. They rank higher than me in that business unit. So if I'm in that cafe and the garbage needs to be taken out or somebody needs to hold the door for somebody, they're going to direct me to do that because they're the CEO of that business unit. And that's intentional for us. And I'm proud that that is the way we operate. That's really exciting. So um, just as you spoke about your cafe, executive officers or the CEOs, you guys have a lot of chains in colleges and schools and you have a team of 50, 18 to 22 year old CEOs who run these cafes. How does that work? So uh, that is our experiential learning platform. And so we debuted with President Fry at Drexel about five years ago. Then it was a program. We've sort of scaled it to a place now where it's sort of a platform for growth and a platform for teaching entrepreneurship and just leadership in general. But essentially what it is, is these are on-campus Saxby's cafes 
designed by undergraduate students and then exclusively run by undergraduate students for full academic credit. So when you go into these, we have 12 of these now across all kinds of different universities, very large public universities, very small private schools, expensive schools, affordable schools, all over the place. And it's been a resounding success across the board for us because it's unique, because it's authentic to Saxby's, but because this is what young people are looking for. They're looking to learn by doing. They're looking to develop the skills that the modern workforce needs. The modern workforce needs what we call power skills, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, cultural agility, the ability to make decisions. Many of our, our student leaders, student CEOs, have to make hundreds of decisions a day. They don't have an opportunity to open up a manual and say, what does it say on page 700? They have to feel, they have to feel the mission core values and they have to feel comfortable making a decision knowing that they're not always gonna be right. They have to have critical, you know, they have to have emotional intelligence, meaning they've gotta understand and read people. And they have to have cultural agility. The world is a global one now. You know, the world is gonna continue to get more diverse and people who can relate to and lead and work with people that look differently than them, think differently than them, are not only gonna be most successful, they're gonna love what they do. And so these are the skills that we believe the modern workforce is going to need. And this is just a beautiful time in people's life to be able to teach it when they're 18 to 22. They're working hard in the classroom and they're learning those skills. That's only half the, get, half the battle. You have to have these power skills. And so I think we've sort of hit the market at the right time where higher ed recognizes that students just don't wanna sit in a classroom or God forbid, sit on Zoom and take classes. They want to be able to, to learn by doing. They wanna make decisions and take responsibility. So I love the business model of actually giving these students opportunities to explore more than just their classroom and going out and actually being a CEO and running a place. How do you hold these students accountable for their profits or their losses when you go through their balance sheets? So we believe that there's three pillars to any business and you can call them a little bit differently, but these are the three things that we try to teach mastery of to our student CEOs. The first and foremost is team development the best organizations stand for something. They have a mission, they have core values that they believe in, and that is the magnet that attracts talent. And the best leaders attract talent and they retain talent. So the biggest thing that we focus on is for student CEOs is how to be great leaders and attract and retain talent. The second thing we believe, and this is becoming more important even now on a more national and international scale is community leadership. What does your business stand for? Why is your community going to support what you do? Being a civically minded entrepreneur. And third, not necessarily less important, but we believe that this is a byproduct of doing the first two well, is financial management. So how do you account for the financial aspect of your decisions? What are your revenue? What are your costs? What is the bottom line? So our student CEOs every single month come into our headquarters here in Philadelphia or now virtually present their profit and loss statements to me to my executive team, oftentimes to our investors. And they do it through the context of those three pillars. So they start with team development. So they give us a rundown of, here's how much talent we have, here's what our retention has been, here's how many people have been promoted, here's hours of work, like all these metrics that we look at. Because if you can't attract talent and they just constantly leave, you could have the best product in the world, your financials aren't gonna look great. Talent is what drives businesses forward and community orientation. And so that's what we're really teaching. And again, it goes back to having a castle. Like we're inside this castle. We're very mindful of who we let into this castle. The mission core values are in the center of the Saxby's headquarters. As I say, it's our cheat sheet. 
there's no secret what we believe in. There's no secret what we stand for. So when people come to interview here, they already know what the answers are. But we want to see, like, what does serve yourself by serving others mean to you? And if they just sort of roll their eyes, like, I don't know, it sort of like, sounds like corporate speak to me. We're not going to hand the keys of, of a million-dollar business unit over to them. But if they're like, I've been dreaming of being a civically-minded entrepreneur, putting myself behind the interests of the people that I can lead, if these are the kinds of things that excite them, we can teach them to be CEOs. You know, but they've got to have these beliefs in their heart, and then we turn it over. And it's, it's been a beautiful thing. We've had over 55 18- to 22-year-olds now run their own million-dollar business units. We have hundreds of college kids led by those young people day in and day out. People told me in the early days, like, Nick, they won't show up. They'll be hungover. They'll be skipping class. They'll be doing this and that. And maybe that's true for some students, not the ones we attract. You know, people sign up for this because they know it's hard, but they know it's going to be important for them to be able to develop the skills necessary in their future. That's so rewarding. How did you even come up with such a unique concept? I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of CEOs, and and this seems to be completely out of the box to engage with college students who are currently in college, looking to get a degree, want some real experience work, and bang on, you give them credit for a whole semester to be your CEO. Yeah, I mean, so I had mentioned at the outset of this, the importance of like networking. I've always been like LinkedIn is my best friend. I like Instagram. I like Twitter, sort of like Facebook. I love LinkedIn. What a beautiful tool for someone who just wants to connect with people. Back in 2013, my alma mater, Cornell, received a very large grant from a self-made entrepreneur to develop the first ever entrepreneurship program at Cornell. And what he really wanted this built around was this notion of an entrepreneur in residence. Get real entrepreneurs in the classroom in front of students so that they can share the real life advice, the highs and the lows of being an entrepreneur. And so I jumped at the opportunity for years. I would drive from Philadelphia to Ithaca, New York every single month. So it was a huge commitment for me. I left Philadelphia at 5 a.m., drive all the way up there. I'd get back usually around midnight. But it was exhilarating to me because I got to sit there, good luck and good timing that like, when I was in school, no one taught entrepreneurship. And now I watch the pendulum swing all the way to the other side where Cornell, Franklin and Marshall, Community College of Philadelphia, everyone in between is now teaching entrepreneurship. But I would hear these great leaders, the John Fry's, the Michael Johnson, who was the dean of the Cornell Hotel School at the time, tell me, they're like, Nick, the advanced version of entrepreneurship is experiential learning, learning by doing. And so I'm like, you know what? We've built the business predicated on being entrepreneurial. We run our cafes with CEOs. We're young. We're diverse. We see ourselves as an education company. What if we just sort of pivoted our business model into being a vehicle to teach entrepreneurship, to teach leadership, to teach in higher ed? And I use a friend of a friend connection to introduce me to John Fry. And John's another guy who builds his network. Like it's amazing how the network he has, how available he is to people. And he and I sat down and five minutes into explaining what my vision was. And I couldn't articulate it probably very well back then. Five minutes in, he goes, Nick, if you can support this, if you could truly let undergraduate students run their own Saxby's, that's going to be a game changer in the world of higher ed. And I would love to be your first partner. And I was lucky that he was my first partner. And so that's what we did. And he's been a huge supporter you know, as we've scaled this now to a dozen partners, we think that we're going to have over a hundred partners in the next probably two to two and a half years on this, on this program. That's such an innovative business model, completely out of the box. I really wish I had the opportunity at FNM 
to be a cafe executive officer at Saxby's and get real world experience. So how do you raise finances to start your first Saxby's cafe? When people ask me that question, I say, this is a situation where I encourage people to do as I say, not as I did. You know, like I had no entrepreneurship training. That's why a lot of this is personal to me. So I was essentially in this leadership development, like consulting program. And it was a great company and it was a great job, but it was a job. And I wanted a passion. I wanted my like life's work and I knew it had to come through from entrepreneurship. And so I literally came up with this idea in my head of coffee, of people centric, of impactful. And I literally just quit my job and I knew I had to open up my first cafe and I started to swipe my credit card. I had no business plan. I had no obviously full funding. This is a time before the big sort of like credit crush in uh, 2008, 2009. So a young person could swipe their credit card, pay your minimum credit card balance, and they would keep raising your limit. So as I like to joke, American Express was my first investor and they just didn't know it. I felt like I was taking a lot of steps forward, but in reality, I was digging myself in a huge hole. You know, and so when Cornell called me and asked me to come back in as an entrepreneur in residence, and then Drexel and Temple, and I've been able to speak across a, a wide spectrum of universities, I do it so I can share this story. Not to be like, oh, look at how cool of a risk taker I am. No, that was stupid. It was dumb to not write a business plan. It was dumb to use my American Express. So this is why you write a business plan. Don't have to take the years. I, I wish I would have had this idea for experiential learning. I wish we could have Saxby's in the position that we're in today, seven, eight, nine years ago. I was bound to be driving around in circles because I had no business plan. I had no roadmap for what I was doing. And so it makes for a great story, but it's just pure stupidity. And I encourage people to not do what I did. That's so interesting. I've heard a lot of people talk about how they raise money or what they did, whether it was bootstrapping or a VC. I've never heard anyone say that they just kept swiping their card until they made it one day. Um, yeah. Transitioning into your personal life, how do you ensure that you allocate your time into things that are important to you in, in a home setting? You say you work seven days a week, which, which is unhealthy um, in a lot of ways. Well, I think the, the way you do that is there's no line between your personal and professional life. Like that's part of the beauty that an entrepreneur gets. There's no one to tell me to be at the office at this time or not to come in the office at this time. I make my own schedule and I allow who I want into that schedule. And so my wife and my son have full access to my calendar. Wherever I go, they're welcome to go. And everything that we do community-minded is very predicated on our beliefs. My wife and I are very focused on education and opportunity. Like we believe that's what changes people's lives. And so my entire life, again, there's no professional side, there's no personal side. My entire life is predicated on opportunity and education. So much so that I choose to live right here in downtown Philadelphia. My wife and son and I live in a high rise. My wife and I waded deeper into our relationship to start a family because we wanted to establish ourselves. And we wanted to be in a position where we could bring our beautiful son into this world, but hit the ground running and not have to like close ourselves off and just go to work from nine to five and come home and take care of our family. We wanted him to assimilate right into our lives, which are 24, seven, 365. My wife's an entrepreneur. She owns and runs an amazing yoga Pilates studio here in Philadelphia. And so we live similar to other people, crazy lives. There's nothing crazy about it to us and everything makes sense. Like I'm on the board of Big Brothers Big Sisters. I'm on the board of Community College of Philadelphia. I'm on the board of the Franklin Institute and Drexel's Close School of Entrepreneurship. All of those things are about opportunity and education. I love how your family is such an integral and important part of your personal and your professional life. Um, you talk about how you made so many mistakes throughout your journey. 
What mistake have you learned most from? The two that I oftentimes point to from a Saxby's perspective are by not writing a business plan, I essentially didn't know where I was going or how I was going to get there. That led to probably my biggest mistake was we were franchised for a really long time. And I franchised only because I wanted to grow. And to one of your earlier questions, I was impatient about growth. I just wanted to grow now. Growing the right way is far more important than growing now. And so I just wanted to grow. So I'm like, you know what? I can proliferate Saxby's by franchising. And franchising turned out to be our biggest hindrance to, to healthy growth. Not because our franchisees were bad per se. Arguably, I was worse at being a franchisor than they were bad at being franchisees. It wasn't what I was cut out for. We had to, we should have developed this business from the jump as a corporate operated, corporate supported business. And so by not writing a business plan, by not fully thinking out what my, my company was going to be and how we were going to get there, it led me to franchising. And I spent almost a decade franchising. We've pivoted away from the franchising model only in the last four or five years. And so I think that that's probably my greatest mistake. But again, as we touched on before, your best ideas come from your biggest mistakes. Because if you think about like what our experiential learning platform is, there's a lot of franchising in this. Like franchising is you let other people have the keys to your business and operate it at a high level. It just happens to be instead of adult franchisees, we have college students who are operating their own tax fees. That's really interesting. What have you been doing to keep your mental health in check? Yeah, so I think you know, I'm a big practitioner of Pilates, so I love Pilates. Some people say I love Pilates because my wife owns a Pilates studio, which might actually be true, but I've learned to love it on its own. I'm sort of over the computer and I want to be like around the energy of other awesome people. So I do live a very disciplined life. Like I get up early in the morning, I work out first thing every morning. I'm very sort of particular about what I eat because the things that I can control, I really put to a schedule and a routine because there's a lot of things I can't control. So I have to be able to have the flexibility to adjust to the things that I can't control. And so what I can control is when I get up. I can control if I work out. I can control what I eat. I can't control if my investors want to talk to me at four o'clock this afternoon. But I know I'm going to be in a better mental space if I've worked out that morning and if I slept well the night before and if I've eaten well up to that point. So I really try to focus on the things that I can control. I carry around The Art of Living by Epictetus because it is so profound in these days. That's such amazing advice. I know just like I do, tons of other people really struggle to have a proper schedule in place. What advice would you give us to have a successful, motivated and healthy life moving forward? It's not easy to do, but my absolute slogan in life is the world happens for you, not to you. And so I think the more that we can embrace that, the quicker that we can embrace that, especially as a young person, the quicker we can embrace that and embed that into every single thing we do in our personal lives, our professional lives, our professional relationships, our personal relationships, the better life we're going to live. I, I love that. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks, Nani. I really appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out. It was my pleasure.